0: Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. Our sermon will be from this chapter this morning, and I will read the entire chapter Matthew. Chapter 1. <clears throat> the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. To Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac Jacob, and to Jacob Judah and his brothers. And to Judah were born Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and to Perez was born Her- Hezron, and to Hezron, Ram, And to Ram was born Aminadab, and to Aminadab, Nashon, and to Nashon, Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab, and to Boaz was born Obed by Ruth, and to Obed, Jesse, and to Jesse was born David the king, and to David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah, And to Solomon was born Rehoboam, and to Rehoboam Abijah, and to Abijah Asa, and to Asa was born Jehoshaphat, and to Jehoshaphat Joram, and to Joram Uzziah, and to Uzziah was born Jotham, and to Jotham Ahaz, and to Ahaz Hezekiah, and to Hezekiah was born Manasseh, and to Manasseh Ammon and to Ammon, Josiah, and to Josiah were born Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, to Jeconiah was born Shealtiel, and to Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, and to Zerubbabel was born Abihud, and to Abihud Eliakim, and to Eliakim, Azor, And to Azor was born Zadok, and to Zadok, Achim, and to Achim, Elihud. And to Elihud was born Eleazar, and to Eleazar, Matham, and to Mathen, Jacob, and to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Therefore, all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the time of Christ, fourteen generations. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had had been betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. All this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Once Jesus began his public ministry among the Jewish people, a very common question was found among them and the question was, who really is Jesus And where did this man Jesus come from? And in response to that question, there was often confusion and different answers that were given. And we see the confusion as on that occasion when the disciples, or Jesus rather, said to his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And some of them said, John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And this confusion and this perplexity as to who Jesus really was continued even after his death. And so Matthew wrote this letter here, especially to his fellow Jews, and he does his part to answer those questions and to establish beyond any doubt who Jesus Christ is and he does so in this opening section, in this lengthy genealogy, and he traces out the ancestors of Christ all the way back to the ancient patriarch Abraham, and then to Joseph, Jesus' legal father. The first, first thing Matthew does here is he makes this bold assertion concerning Jesus in the opening verse, and he identifies Jesus by the full title as the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, in this opening verse. Verse 1, he says the book or the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the personal name of Jesus by which he was known throughout his earthly life. The name Jesus was very ancient, a common name among the Jewish people. It was the same name in the Hebrew language as Joshua back in the days of Moses. And Joshua, Jesus, meant Savior, or the Lord saves. And so there were many young men in the time of Christ whose name would have been the same, Jesus. But this name was given to Jesus by the angel at at his birth, as we read earlier down in verse 21. Because this Jesus was the real savior of his people. The angel came to Joseph in the dream in verse 21. And said concerning Mary that she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was his name. And for him it was true. He had come to be the savior. The savior of his people from their sins sins but that which distinguished this Jesus from all others was the official title which Matthew gives him back in verse 1 that he is Jesus Christ the title Christ means the anointed one in the Greek translation it is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah Messiah in the Old Testament Hebrew is now Christ in the New Testament Greek. Both mean the anointed one. The Jewish people throughout their history were looking for a savior, the one who was promised by the prophets, and he would be the the Messiah. He would be the anointed one who now is Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. In the Old Testament, there were three main offices of the Jewish people, There were first, there was first the kings, they ruled the nation, there were the priests who served God in the temple, and then there were the prophets who spoke the word of God to the people. And whenever men were set apart or consecrated to these offices, they would be anointed with oil, and the anointing with oil was to symbolize the anointing, the influences of the Holy Spirit to be given to them for their work. The most well-known example of this was when Samuel took his oil, his horn of oil, and anointed David to be the future king. And we read in that passage that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The anointing symbolized the power of the Holy Spirit upon the one anointed. And then, from such occasions in the Old Testament... The prophets began to speak of the coming Savior as the Messiah. He would be the king, he would be the priest, he would be the prophet, he would be the Messiah who was anointed above all others by the Holy Spirit. God would anoint him with the power of the Holy Spirit to be the Savior. David himself spoke of this in Psalm 45, that the Messiah would be the anointed one. He said of the Messiah in chapter 45, he said, Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. And then the Messiah himself spoke in Isaiah 61 in verse 1. He said, The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. So throughout the Old Testament this is who the prophets predicted the Savior would be and this is who the people looked for. He was the Messiah. He was the one who would be anointed and he was the Christ who would come anointed by the Holy Spirit. And then all of this now begins to be fulfilled in the life of Jesus. We see it in the baptism of Jesus. Matthew tells us in chapter three and verse 16, that when he was baptized, the heavens were opened, the Father poured the Holy Spirit upon Jesus like a dove, and Jesus became the Christ, the anointed one by God with the Holy Spirit. So this is how Matthew begins his gospel here. The very first verse of the New Testament, the beginning of Matthew's gospel, and in the very first verse, He identifies Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ. This is where the name Jesus Christ came from. Jesus, his personal name, which means Savior, Christ, his official title as the Messiah, the anointed one set apart by God and anointed for his great work. Matthew makes a similar statement down in verse 16 of this first chapter. We read in verse 16, and he says, And to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And so we notice here that Matthew is careful to state that Jesus was born from Mary and not from Joseph. Joseph is identified as the husband of Mary, but it was Mary by whom Jesus was born. Joseph was the legal father of Jesus, not the natural father. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And then he identifies Jesus by his official title, who is called Christ, the Anointed One. And in this genealogy, Matthew gives us the genealogy of Joseph, Because Joseph was the legal father of Jesus according to the Jewish law and custom. And Matthew's main point here is to prove, especially to his Jewish readers, that Jesus is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament scriptures. And that he is the Savior, the Christ of God. Back in verse 1 he mentions that the prophets had promised that the Savior would not only be the Christ, but he would be the son of David, he says, and the son of Abraham as well. Matthew states who Jesus is, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And so this is what we look at here this morning who this Savior, this Messiah, had to be, both the son of David and the son of Abraham and the significance of this. And we will take each of them in their historical order, first Abraham and then David. In the first place, the Messiah had to be the son of Abraham. The Savior, the Messiah, he did not just suddenly and unexpectedly come into the world. He did not simply one day appear unannounced by surprise among the Jewish people, but he had been promised by God long before, over thousands of years, even from the very beginning of the world in the creation and the fall into sin. And we'll turn back to Genesis chapter 3. And we'll be scanning some of these verses here this morning of the promise of the Messiah. And here in Genesis chapter 3, immediately after the fall into sin, the Lord came into the garden and made here the promise of the coming Savior. And we see this in verse 15 as he speaks to the serpent. He said to the serpent in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, there would be a corporate, corporate, ongoing, continuing conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The seed of the woman, the righteous in the world, the seed of the serpent, the wicked, the evil ones in this world who are not saved. There would be this ongoing, continual, collective conflict in the world between them. But then that conflict would come to its pinnacle in one particular seed of the woman at the end of verse 15. And he, that one seed of the woman, he shall bruise you, the serpent, the devil, on the head. He shall destroy your power, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So here we have the first promise of the Savior, the first promise of the Old Testament. And as the Old Testament history progresses, the promise of the Savior gradually unfolds and it becomes more and more clear. And one of the things that becomes more clear is that God has chosen the specific family into which the Savior is to be born. Here in Genesis chapter 3, he only states that the Savior will be the seed of the woman. He will be a man. But as time goes on, God narrows the family line. And he reveals more specifically what family line the Messiah will come through. The first step is in, the proce- in this process is in the days of Noah. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And after the great flood, the Lord was clear that the Savior would now come through the family line of Shem. And then the next step in identifying the family line of the Messiah comes in the time of Abraham, and we find the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Now Abraham lived 2,000 years, we could say, perhaps after the creation. Abraham lived 2,000 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. And the Lord here in this chapter, he calls Abraham out of his native land of Chaldea to come into the land of Canaan that he does not know. And he makes promises to him here, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land, which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here we have promises made to Abraham promises of the land, promises of many descendants, and then promises of one particular descendant through which the earth would be blessed. We see this at the end of verse 3. The Lord made this very broad and far-reaching promise to Abraham. And he said to him, and in you, which means in your seed, in your descendant, in one of your sons who will come after you, All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the Lord is beginning here to give his promise to Abraham that one of his descendants will be the Messiah. And through that one descendant, one son, blessings would come upon the entire earth. So the seed of the woman back in Genesis chapter 3 now becomes the seed of Abraham and in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then the promise becomes more clear as we turn over to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And in this chapter, God commands Abraham to offer Isaac up on Mount Moriah. And Abraham obeys God's command. And then when Abraham is done, the Lord speaks to him now in verses 16 through 18. And the angel of the Lord said to Abraham in verse 16, he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, And have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens. And as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. So in verse 18 the Lord confirmed the promise of the Messiah that he had made back in chapter 12. He said, in your seed, in your seed, meaning in your descendant, in one of your sons after you, all the nations, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Blessings shall come upon all the peoples by this descendant of yours. And then other promises were made to Abraham as well. And it became clear from this time forward that the Savior, the Messiah, he would be a descendant of Abraham. He would come from the line of Abraham, a son of Abraham. And when he came, he would bring blessings upon all the nations of the earth. And this is what Matthew is announcing in that first verse of his gospel. When he calls Jesus the son of Abraham, What Matthew means is that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies from thousands of years ago. He is the great son of Abraham. He is the one the Lord has promised centuries before that in him all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham. And then... The second thing which Matthew stated in that opening verse that the Messiah would be the son of David. And so our second point is that he is the son, the Messiah is the son of David. If we continue to look through the rest of the book of Genesis, what we find is that God continues to narrow the family line of the Messiah even further he is to come through Abraham's son, Isaac. Through Isaac, your descendants, your descendant will be named. Through Isaac. And then after Isaac, he is to come through Jacob. And Jacob has his 12 sons. But the Savior has promised to come through the tribe of Judah. And then as we move further along in time, the next major revelation comes from the, of the family line of the Messiah is that he will come through the family of David and he will be one of David's sons. So we turn to 2 Samuel and chapter 7. The book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. And here David is nearing the end of life The Lord speaks to him in verse 12, 2 Samuel 7 and verse 12 down through verse 16. And God's, God says to him, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and with the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. It is clear here that some of these promises have their fulfillment in David's son Solomon and in the people of God, the seed, the spiritual seed of salvation. Solomon was raised to the throne of Israel. His kingdom was established. He built a house for the Lord And at the end of verse 14, he speaks of Solomon's sins. The Lord will correct him and not forsake him. But it is also clear that these promises extend far beyond Solomon and anything that could take place in Solomon's time. They speak of a much greater descendant of David, and that descendant comes to his fulfillment only in the coming Messiah. We see the Lord promises in verse 12 that when David's days are complete, he is laid to rest. God will raise up one of his descendants after him. He will be a great king upon a throne and God will establish his kingdom. And at the end of verse 13, he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. An everlasting kingdom and a kingdom that will have no end In verse 13, he shall build a house for me, for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 14, I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. Down in verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, and your throne shall be established forever. So when David heard these promises, he knew that they extended beyond anything concerning Solomon. And these promises reached forward to the time of the Messiah, the Messiah who would be one of his sons, a son of David. And so from this point forward, once God made this promise, the Messiah continues to be remembered and spoken of. By the prophets and by the people of Israel, as the son of David, David my servant, because he will come and be the descendant, the son of David. And that's what we see in Psalm 89. We'll turn back to Psalm 89, which we read earlier in Psalm 89 the psalm this psalm psalm 89 was written by ethan a prophet named ethan and he writes in verses 1 and 2 he says i will sing of the loving kindness of the lord forever to all generations i will make known thy faithfulness with my mouth for i have said loving kindness will be built up forever in the heavens thou wilt establish thy Faithfulness. And so he celebrates God's loving kindness, his faithfulness to all generations forever. And then the Lord speaks more specifically now in verses three and four. He says, I have made a covenant. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations he speaks of the promises made to David back in Second Samuel chapter 7. And concerning David's descendant and his throne, the same promises are here, remembered and spoken by the Lord. Now this psalm was written hundreds of years after David's death. David was in a tomb. But the Lord remembers The Lord looks back and he says, I have not forgotten my promises to him. I will establish David's seed, David's son forever, and I will build up David's throne to all generations an everlasting kingdom in the earth. We look down to verses 19 and 20. He says in verse 19, wants thou to speak in vision to thy godly ones? And to say, I have given help to one who is mighty. And this is what God says. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. So here the Lord speaks of the Messiah as David, my servant. David himself has been dead for hundreds of years, but the Messiah is to be the son of David. And so he speaks of him, David, my servant, and he will be the Messiah. He will be the one anointed with the Holy Spirit. He says, my holy oil, the Holy Spirit, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And then as we read down from verses 21 down through verse 29, we see all of these things that can apply only to the Messiah, not to David or any earthly king, but can only be fulfilled in the great Savior. Verse 21, he says, With whom my hand will be established, my arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. But I will crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. And my faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him. And in my name his horn will be exalted. I also... I shall also set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He will cry to me, thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever. My covenant shall be confirmed to him. So I will establish his descendants forever as the throne of, as in his throne as the days of heaven. So all of these things come to their ultimate fulfillment only in the coming Savior. He speaks here of the victory of the Messiah, that he will crush his enemies in verse 23. He speaks of his sovereignty as king in verse 25. He will rule over the sea and over the rivers of the earth. He speaks of his eternal kingdom in verse 29. His throne will be established forever as the days of heaven. And all of this is for David, my servant, David's descendant, his future son, who is the Savior, the Messiah, who is to come. We'll turn to one more passage in the Old Testament, Psalm 132. Psalm 132. And verses 10 and 11. For the sake of David, thy servant, do not turn away the face of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body, I will sit upon your throne. So once again, this psalm was written hundreds of years after David's death. And the Lord here continues to remember the promise that he had given to David, that he would take one of his sons and set him upon his throne forever. It is a promise, he says, that he will not turn away from. It is a promise that he has not forgotten. It is a promise that he will always remember. And he swears by himself that he will fulfill this promise. In verse 11, the Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back of the fruit of your body I will set upon your throne. So we might turn to other New Old Testament passages and we would find that the Messiah was to come from the line of David. We'll turn to one more because it is so precious. Jeremiah chapter 33, Jeremiah and chapter 33. And we read in verse 19, the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant for the day and my covenant for the night so that day and night will not be at their appointed time, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne and with the Levitical priests, my ministers. So here, God promises, he remembers the covenant that he made with David to to sit one of his sons upon his throne. And he says that my covenant with David to send the Savior, my covenant with David with the Savior is as certain as the rising of the sun in the morning And it is as certain as the setting of the sun in the evening. If you could stop the order of the universe and all the stars, the sun, the earth, and all the motions of the heavens, then you could stop the fulfillment of my promise. There is no man who can stop the order of the universe and no one can stop the promise that I have made in regard to my beloved son. So for thousands of years the Jewish people understood that when the Messiah came he would be for at least a thousand years he would be the for thousands of years the son of Abraham and then the son of David. And we can turn to the New Testament as well. We see this in the Gospel of Luke and chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and here the angel gabriel comes to mary to announce the conception of the child in her womb by the holy spirit and the angel gabriel announces who this child will be we read in verse 31 and he said and behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call you shall name him jesus And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So there he is at the end of verse 32. He will sit upon that throne of his father David. He will be the son of David. He will be the fulfillment of that promise And all the promises that God made through Abraham and then through David, they will find their fulfillment in him in an everlasting kingdom that will have no end. And this is why we find often in the Gospels that they called Jesus the son of David. You remember the Canaanite woman And she cried out and she said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. She said, Son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And then there was blind Bartimaeus by the road, and he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And then when Jesus entered into Jerusalem for the last time, the multitudes lined the streets, And they said, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They knew that the coming Messiah would be the Son of David. So we turn back to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 1. Matthew's Gospel in chapter 1, the Jewish people were expecting two things concerning the coming Messiah. He would be the son of David, and he would be the son of Abraham. And this is what Matthew here announces, the son of David, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 2,000 years before, the Lord had promised the Messiah to be the son of Of Abraham and then a thousand years before he had promised the Messiah to be the son of David and now all of these promises are being fulfilled in Jesus Christ the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham so in this opening verse of his gospel Matthew goes back thousands of years and he confirms the promises of God They are all now being fulfilled. The long-awaited Messiah, Jesus the Christ, he is the fulfillment, the Son of God, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. And Matthew's point is that God is always faithful to his promises and everything throughout all of those centuries was all being done according to his word and every promise that he had made concerning the Savior thousands of years before. Jesus had finally come as the Messiah, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And what becomes most remarkable in this context of this genealogy that Matthew sets before us here is that God fulfills his promises despite everything that stands in opposition to them. As we look down through the genealogy which covers the entire history of the Jewish people, we see that there was everything There was everything that mitigated against God's promises and stood in the way of their fulfillment. There was every kind of obstacle, great difficulties, that all were against his promises. And yet despite all of those things, God was still faithful to every word of his promise that he had spoken. Three things we'll look at in this genealogy that stood against the fulfillment of God's promises. The first was the exceedingly long period of time. The exceedingly long period of time. More than 2,000 years. More than 2,000 years since the promise was first given to Abraham. And then a thousand years from Abraham to David. And then another thousand years from David to the time of the birth of Christ. And yet time could not stop God from fulfilling his promise. And time could not cause him to forget any of his words. Centuries after centuries passed. Hundreds of years upon hundreds of years, the ancient promises remained. And the people waited and wondered how long before he would fulfill his word. And through all that time and over all those centuries, the Lord still remembered his promise and he fulfilled his word In the proper time. Time cannot keep God from fulfilling his promises. Is this not a great trouble for us in regard to our faith? We have promises. We look to God to fulfill the promises by faith. And yet, so much time passes. And we wait and we wait and we wonder. Why does it take so long for these promises to be fulfilled? But a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. He is the eternal God who has given his promises. And time never diminishes the power of his word or the faithfulness of God to any of his promises His promises are always true, and they all will be fulfilled. A second obstacle to the promises here in this genealogy are the great political upheavals of the nation of Israel, the great upheavals of the nation, the tumult, the chaos, the confusion, the wars of the nation The promise was first given to Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was a nomad in the land of promise. God said one of his descendants was to be the Messiah, the Savior. Abraham wandered in that land. And none of it belonged to him. And the promise of the land was not fulfilled in his time. He was looking to another land, a heavenly land. But hundreds of years later, Abraham's descendants would go down to Egypt and then they would become slaves under the harsh bondage of Pharaoh in the land of Egypt for hundreds of years. And then finally delivered through Moses, through the Red Sea, And they spent 40 years in the wandering of the wilderness of Sinai. Finally, they entered into the land of Canaan in the days of Joshua. And then centuries passed and David established his rule over the nation as king. And Solomon became the greatest king. And there was the glory of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. And there was peace throughout the land But then, with Solomon's sons, the kingdom was bitterly divided. Jeroboam took the ten northern tribes, became the nation of Israel. Rehoboam took the southern tribes. And David's throne, upon which the promises were made, remained only among the two small tribes of the southern kingdom. And then what happened was the whole nation fell into idolatry for centuries. The whole nation went astray until finally God's judgment came on the nation as he has promised. And the Assyrian armies, the Babylonian armies came down. The nation of Israel was taken away into captivity for 70 years. And it was only by a divine miracle that the Jewish nation was not destroyed and lost in that captivity forever, as had happened to many other nations. But they were revived, and they were brought back. They returned to their own land. But then there was the rule of the foreign powers over them for hundreds of years, many centuries, the Persians, and then the Romans ruled them. This is the history that is contained in this genealogy. It is a history of the most tumultuous political upheavals. The most troubled centuries, times of darkness. The people of God in captivity, the throne of David dethroned. Upheavals. Wars, captivities, confusion, terrible times had come upon them. And yet, even all of this could not stop God's promise from being fulfilled. He was still faithful. He was still faithful to all that he had said. And through all of this, He was still working his eternal plan and ordering all things according to his powerful providence to bring the Savior and his salvation into the world. All the troubles and all the disorders, the confusion, the wars, Tumults, the revolutions of this world cannot stop the promises of God and the building of his eternal kingdom, the coming of the Messiah and the building of his descendants and his throne so that he would have more descendants than the stars of the heavens and the sand of the seashore. He will build that kingdom and nothing in this world can stop the fulfillment of the promise. Do we not think sometimes that when there are wars in other lands, when there's terrible things that take place, that somehow perhaps the promise of God and the work of Christ in bringing salvation to the lost in the world is going to be hindered by such things? No. No, his kingdom is powerful. He will save his people from their sins. He will save them. And nothing can stop him from building his church. I will build my church, and he will build it in every nation, in every place, under every circumstance, and there is nothing of all the confusion, the disorder of this world that can stop the fulfillment of his promises. And then we add to this the third the third obstacle to the fulfillment of the promise is the sins of. Of the people. Many of the individual people as we go down through this genealogy. Were those who had sinful, very sinful lives. But they were, they are written here. We could mention in verse 3 Tamar. And then we could mention in verse 5 Rahab. They were harlots. And then in verse 6 we read this. At the end of the verse, and to David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And we know the story of David's grievous sin with Bathsheba. He was king. He was king at the time. He took another man's wife, tried to cover his sin with the murder of her husband. And yet the Lord was still pleased to send the promised Messiah through Bathsheba. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba who had been the wife of Uriah. And then we go down through the kings that are listed here. We find so many of them, they were unrighteous kings in the nation's history. In verse 7, we read of Solomon, who was the father of Rehoboam. In 2 Chronicles chapter 12, we read of Rehoboam. When the kingdom of Rehoboam was established and strong, we read that he and all Israel forsook the law of the Lord then, in verse seven, we read of Rehoboam, became the father of Abijah, and in first kings, we are told of Abijah that he walked in all the sins of his father which he had committed before him. In verse eight, we read of Joram and Joram in the book of Second Chronicles, we are told that he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab did, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. In verse nine, we have King Ahaz. and listen to what we find about King Ahaz in Second Chronicles chapter 28. It reads that now, in the time of his distress, this same king Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to the Lord. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, and said, because the gods of the kings of Aram helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they became the downfall of him in all Israel. Moreover, when Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God, He cut the utensils of the house of God in pieces and closed the doors of the house of God, of the Lord, and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoke the Lord to anger, the God of his fathers to anger. And we could go down through the list here. And on and on it would go, the sins of the individual kings and the sins of the entire nations until the whole nation fell into idolatry and under God's judgment, and then they were sent away into captivity. That's what we read of at the end of verse 11, the time of the deportation to Babylon. They were sent away to the 70 years of captivity under God's judgment for their sins so this is not a pure genealogy that we read of here this is not a genealogy of righteous men who had earned who had earned and merited the promise of God and its fulfillment this is not a list of men who had somehow showed themselves to be worthy of the promise being fulfilled. No. This was a catalog. This is a catalog of shame. It really is. This is a catalog of disgrace throughout the history of the nation of Israel that could only be covered, that could only be overcome by the grace and the mercy and the faithfulness of God. We might think perhaps after all of these sins that lie in this genealogy, that God would come to the point and he would say, I will cancel. I will cancel now the promise of sending my beloved son, the son of Abraham, the son of David. I am done with these people and I have had enough of their sins. But what we see here is that even human sin cannot stop the promise of God. Through all these individual kings, their sins, the corporate apostasies of the nation, the Lord still showed himself to be faithful to his word and to fulfill every promise and to send the Messiah into the world. If God's promise depended upon men and their goodness and their righteousness, his promises would not be fulfilled. God's promise of the Messiah and everything that the Messiah would come to do in all the blessings that he would bring, his promise does not depend upon men and what men will do, but upon his own Faithful character and his truthfulness to all in all of his word. So one of the great lessons which lies behind this genealogy is that God is always faithful to his promises. The great political upheavals, the tumults of all the nations, the confusion of this present world in all of its wicked ways, all the sins of kings and nations over thousands and thousands of years can never prevent the promise of God from being fulfilled. Paul said to the Galatians, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's what happened in the fullness of time. When his proper time to fulfill his promise came, no matter what men did, God would be faithful. And he sent forth his beloved son. the faithfulness of God to his promises. Two things that it should mean to all of us here this morning. First, to unbelievers, that it should put fear in the hearts of unbelievers because he will not forget any of his words that he has spoken of his coming judgment In this world, he has promised, he has promised that he will judge the world in righteousness. On that day, every man and woman will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account to him for everything that they have done in their bodies. And those who have not believed in the gospel and those who have not served Christ They will hear those most awful words, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. Unbelievers should know. So it seems that they can sin with a high hand now. And they think there are no consequences to their evil ways. And they can mock God's threat. The day will come when he will fulfill every word which he has spoken. And the only way for them to be saved is to repent and to come to Jesus and to believe in him and find mercy and forgiveness. And God's faithfulness to his word should also in the second place be a great comfort to us who are believers. Because he has promised great things in his word, and promises of eternal life to come. And just like the people of old waited thousands of years for the fulfillment of the first coming of Christ, so we wait for the second coming of Christ. And at times we ask, how long, how long, Lord Jesus, before you will come? But he will come, and the promise of God will be fulfilled And when he comes, then we will hear what John says, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no longer any death, any mourning, crying or pain and the first things have all passed away and there will be the new heavens and the new earth. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, will come down out of heaven. His bondservants shall see him, and they shall serve him day and night, and they shall reign with him forever. The one whom we wait for, he will come. He will come. In God's appointed hour, nothing can stop God from fulfilling his faithful promise. He will send his beloved son with great power and majesty. And men will cry out for the rocks of the mountains to hide them on that day. To hide them from the wrath of God and from the wrath of the Lamb that is against them. But for those who have believed, we will look and have great joy. Because he is the one that we have waited for all our lives. And we will not be disappointed at the glorious kingdom that he will bring. And that's what we look forward to. The faithfulness of God in all the promises and all the blessings of his beloved son. Let's pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the glorious promise from so long ago of your beloved son, Thank you for your faithfulness to every word that you have spoken. Lord, give every one of us here the faith that we need to believe on the Lord Jesus, to follow him, to turn away from every sin, from all the wicked ways of the world, to be faithful to him. Lord Jesus, give us the grace we need that we might stand in that great day and rejoice because our Savior has come from heaven. Lord, help us now and bless your word to us and be with each of us throughout the day and help us in Jesus' name we pray, amen.